world of radio is a never-ending tale of corporate greed, political backstabbing, sex and drugs, and eventually rock and roll. Despite congressional inquiries and Spartanish battles by state attorney generals, the wild west of radio has weathered the storm of bad publicity and FCC fines, only to return to the scene of a crime like a bloodstain that's too embedded in the floorboards to ever come out. As a 40-year radio veteran, John Gorman will tell you the things that make traditional 92-point-somethings or KRAP-101 still suck are the same things that are giving hope and ammunition to an entirely new generation of radio rebellion soldiers, one of them being Gorman himself. Since the mid-1960s, John Gorman has been affiliated with some of the nation's top radio stations, whether as a program director, operations manager, or a station manager. The highlight of his career being when he helped launch Cleveland's WMMS into becoming one of the best-known and most influential radio stations in America from 1973 to 1986, breaking everyone from Springsteen to Bowie to The Pretenders onto the national charts. After a brief stint in Detroit, in 1994 he returned to WMMS for a few additional years, only to depart when the corporate rock mentality of its nuclear channel owners became too much to bear. Today. Gorman is a champion for independent voices and independent choices in today's media world, specifically promoting the future of internet radio as the only way for consumers to break the monopolistic stranglehold that currently entraps the majority of the radio stations in the country today. His weblog, gormanmediablog.blogspot.com, frequently takes on his former bosses at Clear Channel, as well as providing insight into the often clouded decision-making and backroom happenings at the FCC. His autobiography, Buzzard, Inside the Glory Days of WMMS and Cleveland Rock Radio, detailing the behind-the-scenes stories of his years in radio, will be released on October 26th by Gray & Company. As an additional note, for further insight into what happened in the world of music and radio, track down the PBS series Frontline and look for the four-part episode, The Way the Music Died. Along with Gorman's book, they are, together, an essential background history to the happenings in radio over the past 30 years. We begin our conversation with the question that is most asked by young musicians and young managers alike. I get a lot of MySpace messages from bands, and particularly managers, who want, they always ask, um, the first question they ask is, do I need to get my band played on commercial radio in order to be a hit anymore? No. Not at all. Why? What happened? Well, at commercial radio, uh, the audience of commercial radio has dropped anywhere from, depending on demographic, anywhere from 15% to 35%, and perhaps even greater among, hmm. over the past 10 years, among those between the ages of 12 and 24, really don't listen to radio at all. And those between 25 and 34 listen to radio probably 75% less than they used to. Then as you get into the older demographics, uh, the, the, the percentages aren't as, as different, uh, aren't, you know, aren't as bad for radio, but still, people listening to radio in general much less than they, they have before. And the record-buying public, which really includes everyone, I mean, the, the older demographics tend to buy older music. They'll buy, they'll buy some new artists, but for the most part, it's... Uh, catalog. It's catalog or it's new material by established artists. But as far as uh, up-and-coming acts, uh, radio does not do anything for them whatsoever. And, and the rare cases that it does, 
there's been a, there's an awful lot of behind the scenes. It's it's very let's put it this way. It's a polite way of saying it's very expensive to get music played on the radio today. That's the polite way of saying it. So this plague that you're talking about, um, I guess what we're probably talking about is payola. Yeah, well, payola became legal. Now, that, and I have a question yeah. about that. Was the uh, was the uh, I want to ask you describe yeah. the. Um, there was a loophole, you say, that was in the 1996 Telecommunications Act that was passed by Congress. Yes. And what was that loophole? Well, basically, the loophole, and, and it didn't have as much to do with the telecommunications bill as it just did with interpretation of, of how business is done on radio. And you could sell time. You know, you, you, you can sell, you know, if, for instance, a lot of radio stations on Sunday mornings have ethnic shows and mm -hmm. religion. And, and there's some stations that do that full time and they buy that hour. They, they buy that hour and then they can resell it if they want. Like in the case of ethnic programs, our religion uses it to raise money. See, but I'm confused. I thought that was part of their community service that they had to provide for free. Community service disappeared. The telecommunications oh, okay. bill erased that. It, well, it, they didn't erase oh. it. You're still supposed to uh, uh, serve your community but it's sort of an option. Before radio had to do these ascertainments and, and quarterly reports to the FCC to show that, first of all, that you were in the community ascertaining what the needs were for your city of license, plus you were providing the programming to serve those needs. Okay. Uh, that became an honor system. And we know what it's like with honest systems. It's like, okay, we, <laughs> when we you, trust. When you, have, yeah. when you have stockholders, yeah, right. Yeah, we trust you're going to take care of that. Right. Oh, sure, right. right. We're going to take care. So, I mean, you know, for the past 10 years, radio has undergone a major change. And it became something driven by, by Wall Street, where it was strictly the bean counter's bottom line. You know, you're, you're thinking quarter to quarter instead of long term. And it's all of those things that destroyed radio. And of course, how can you have an honest system with a with a public company? It it just doesn't work, you know. It's and it's it's not that all public companies are bad, but as you get large and you're suddenly dealing with a board of directors and all of these other influences you have, you know, your sole purpose in life is to is, is shareholder value, and that's more important than the product. I mean, we've. The end result, of course, will be just like what happened to the American automobile uh, industry. Hmm. You know, when suddenly it becomes, you're not serving the public, you're serving your shareholders. And that's what happened to radio. And in 10 years, I mean, radio has completely fallen apart. You have a massive state, uh, company like Clear Channel that's now unloading stations. Hmm. And of course, they're going through a venture capital. They're going through, you know, Mitt Romney, uh, who, who's founded Bain Capital. And, uh, now Mitt Romney was running for president. Mitt Romney was running for president, yeah. and he, he made his. He made his. I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah, I mean, he made his money being a venture capitalist. Okay, and they invested in radio and yeah. and and. Yeah, and what what Bain Capital does? They buy up troubled companies. They split them off in a million million pieces, and then they do IPOs and they charge even more than you know. It's, it's the greater fool theory that there's always somebody that will pay even more than you did for something that wasn't worth the price. <laughs> and and that's exactly, and, and I mean, right. that's, that's the radio industry these days. I mean, the radio industry is not making money. Its stocks have tanked. Uh, they tried this little gimmick called HD radio, mm. which was really something to, for the shareholders, for Wall Street to say, you know, we used to have 
these five radio stations. Now we have 15 in every market. Now, I don't go into detail. Well, you need this little special radio. It costs so much money. And all we're doing is running pre-recorded crap, you know, on our HD channels with a few rare exceptions. There's a riff in Detroit that has has a side channel that actually really is creative. But for the most part, it's it's a pain, it's it's strictly, uh, you know, you may have a classic rock station. One of the one of the channels may be like a, a more classic rock. But when you listen to this more classic rock or deeper tracks, it's like, well, you should be playing these in your regular station. So, and then you have uh, you just have a lot of pre-recorded formats, a lot of formats that it's the same programming every single day. You know, mm-hmm. they they change the tapes once a week or maybe even once a month in some cases. So, you know, HD radio was, the, the, you know, an example of, of uh, where it was strictly done for Wall Street's benefit, saying, well, you now invest in, in all these new radio stations you just put on the air. Problem is nobody can hear them. It's a nice little song and dance. Yeah. Gets and that's, people distracted yeah. for a little bit. Well, I, I do want to, I want to talk, go back to this payola situation a little bit more, because it does tie into this first question, which was the, yeah. you know, uh, not only should I get my band on the radio, but do I even have a chance to be able to yeah. afford to get my band on the radio? Um, the FCC uh, recently came down with a huge fine yeah. against uh, Clear Channel, CBS Radio, uh, Intercom Communications, and uh, Citadel Broadcasting. It was $12.5 million in fines, and it was 8,200 half-hour blocks of airtime for each small label, quote-unquote, to promote their artists. And what they mean by small label is any label that was not controlled by one of the nation's four dominant music labels. Yeah. But when you figure they're about 80% of the market, and they also, you know, and then they also have their distribution arms yeah. where they own some yeah. of these these little indie labels, it's just but, like, really, yeah. what are they well, going to get out of here's, this? Here's, here's the point about payola. Payola is not about getting your song, your, your record being uh, played on radio. Mm-hmm. It's about keeping someone else's off. <laughs> and, and, okay. and you really have to look at it that way. So a major label has the money to buy airtime. They have the money to buy rotation. They have the money to, to buy X number of plays a week. An independent label can't even play in that same field. Sure. And what happened is pay, the, the way payola became quasi-legal was it became like you're buying a commercial on, on a station. Well, wasn't that what Interscope did with corn back in the late 90s where yeah. they start buying blocks? Yeah. You start hours? buying blocks, you start buying airtime. The, the other part is these radio stations did a direct deal. Rather than, go, rather than pay for play, rather than doing individual, you know, where labels are dealing directly with radio stations, they were independent record promoters. They became the third party. And that came, now did that come out of the '96 bill? Was uh, that this part came of out of '96. Now there's always been independent record promoters, and independent record promoters are not independent labels. It, it's two different things can entirely. You, can, can, for our listeners, so they understand. Yeah. Again, going back to the history, can you give me a history of independent record okay. promoters? Okay, independent record promoters were a, a case of where you had it actually started out for a good cause. You had a really? lot of small indie labels back in the '50s. Okay, and, right, and, right. You know, and this happened. Sun and Stacks and yeah. all those guys, yeah, yeah. And they couldn't afford to have the promotional, uh, uh, you know, muscle that the Columbia's and the RCA Victors and the leading uh, uh, Mercury and the leading labels of of those times. So they they came up with the idea of well, if 
if we have a third party that reps all of us, and the same thing, they also you had independent distributors. Okay. Yeah, I mean you had you had distributors. You know, Columbia had their own distributorship. But when you get down to these small labels like you know Chess and right. Checker and Argo and you know all of the small labels era that existed back in the fifties and sixties, uh, they used independent promotion people to get records played because they couldn't afford to have a full time staff. Well, okay. They went to independent distribution because they couldn't. They couldn't afford to have their own distribution. They just didn't have enough product. But what was that? What was that? And that actually, it ties into a, a historical yeah. question I do have for you. Um, but what was that relationship that those promoters had back then with those radio stations? Was it well a it, pay to play? Like, uh, were you it, going because? Well, in those days, it was it it, it, it was I guess plugola or whatever you want to call it. It's, <laughs> it was, you know, I mean, it, the one thing that's true is Chuck Berry never got, would have been played on commercial radio if it weren't for payola. And a lot of these small independent acts, especially the R and B acts, because there was a time like you know, uh, with with top forty radio in the fifties that uh, you just wouldn't play black music. You know, Earth Angel came out, and you know the version that was played on top forty was the the crew cut. Yeah, well, the best example is Little Richard's Tutti Frutti gets played on top forty radio by Pat Boone. Pat Boone does a version. I mean, how absurd. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. I heard yeah. that, sh- that song one time. Yeah, right. And and the only way that the small labels could compete and R&B labels could compete in a, in a white top 40 world back then was the use of independent record promoters. Now, in those days, there was a direct relationship with the disc jockey. You know, they'd go to Alan Freed or they'd go to Dick Clark and they'd say, you know, here's some money. Uh, you know, could you play this record? Or sometimes they do in the case of... Uh, uh, well, Alan Freed and Chuck Berry, you know, it, if, if you look at, at, at the songwriting credits, Alan Freed co-wrote a lot of the songs with Chuck Berry, you know, and if you look at the Everly Brothers, uh, you'll see that Joe Fine and uh, a, a great man, a good district, a great, great air talent, but nonetheless, I mean, that's how it was done in those days. Well, well, Joe Finan wrote a few songs for the Everly Brothers. <laughs> now, how did that, explain to, the, to our listeners, how did that happen? What was the relationship that caused that to happen? Well, was the that... relationship was, it, this allowed smaller labels to get their music played so, on Top 40 radio. So in other words, if you allow Alan Free to get partial songwriting credit. Exactly. Either partial songwriting credit, sometimes it was direct cash payments and all that, and sometimes it, it, it was, well, we'll give you a piece of the action. But it was all this pay to play. And, mm. you know, then there was, you know, there, there was the payola investigations and it found that all these people were taking payola. It ruined some careers and it, it really came down to the lawyers that you had. Dick Clark had a great lawyer. That was, Dick, that was the question I was going to yeah. ask you. Why did both Alan Freed and Dick Clark were busted for yeah. payola? But Alan Freed went down eventually and he was also, I guess he was an alcoholic too. That didn't yeah. help. And Dick Clark was more or less was within the public's mind yeah. was forgiven why was that well dick clark had the better lawyer he had the better you know he had he had he had a he he had a strong legal team uh he had great public relations he had a pr firm that that repped him so dick clark was able to weather the storm where alan freed did not have the best lawyer he also had a drinking problem and he didn't have he didn't have good PR because he was still that guy that was corrupting all those white kids by playing all that black music. So I, you know, Alan Freed was an easy mark, and they had to crucify someone. And why not take Alan Freed? And there were a couple of other people that that also, you know, really did, their lives are ruined by it. They didn't do anything that everyone else wasn't doing at the time. That was the nature of the business. They were made the example. Yeah. 
And I mean, and a lot of the problem was some of these payments were done under the table. And the way they got them was tax evasion. And payola itself back then. It was like Capone. Yeah, and payola actually wasn't illegal back then at that time. It was strictly the tax evasion they got them on. But then the payola laws were created that you can't do pay for play and this and that. And, you know, like anything else, for a few years, everybody's squeaky clean. And then it's like it's it's like any garden. Every garden has weeds, no matter what. So eventually you are going to have these things come up and you will have suddenly a little pay for play starts coming up. It's sometimes disguised in a different way. Uh, you know, back in the... Uh, uh, the and, and I, I don't want to say all independent record promoters sure. are bad because actually sure. most of them are very good. And even a lot of the people have gotten the bad raps, like the East Coast guys. and They actually were honest guys. You know, some of them are still in business today. These, mm -hmm. these were the honest guys because they were helping artists get played on the radio in whatever way they could. Others, it was strictly cut and dry. We don't care about the music. We don't care about who it is. You, you know, we have these connections. And, and what these, Here's a TV, yeah, play the song. Yeah, and what these yeah. independent promoters do is they establish a relationship with the decision maker, whether it be the music director, the program director, whatever. And it's like, we'll take care of you if you play this music. Now, it, it reached a case in the 80s where... Okay, we're jumping. All right, good. Yeah, I, and well, I mean, because it... Ex, it, it ex because there was the 70s, though, have this, this image that's been painted through movies and through television yeah. and through, and through uh, um, rock and roll books and, and even magazines, um, uh, where it was pretty much the anything goes time period. And this is when you got yeah. it, and you, you came in see, as, as the, programming yeah. director, I believe, yeah. right? Of, of WMMS yeah. in the late 70s. And, and it was like, it was all about, uh, I mean... Pardon me, but it was all about uh, hookers and blow, and you got stuff on the radio, and it was like you know party time, and and this is how it happened. But the music that came out of that era was well, fantastic. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the so see, there was like a massive corruption yeah. that was still being kind of yeah. painted, but, but was it really that happening? Uh, well, it was happening with some formats, not with others. I, you know, okay, the, well, right, uh, you know, the music industry looked at top forty radio as as the best place to expose their music because of the high rotations you're playing hit songs every hour and a half and you know you're not playing that many it's a very small list so to to get on that list you're going to get a lot of airplay so that became very important mm -hmm. and so you did have independent record promoters that would you know secure that slot for a label and what the labels do you know the labels would hire their own record guy they their, their local reps okay. to go work the station but they didn't really mean anything they were the guys that would would be there for show right but okay. actually the real deal of getting a record played was done by the independent record promoters okay and once again you know by that time too it became it, it had switched from being where it was the labels that couldn't afford to do it themselves to the to the labels that, that the only labels could afford to hire these guys, and you know once again you had a case of where unless you unless you uh, you know paid the price you didn't get your your music played on the radio. Can you name artists that you think of that time period in the seventies that probably wouldn't have made their careers? I mean, you mentioned Chuck Berry before, but well, Chuck, in the fifties early sixties. Yeah. But was there anybody? It, it's more when you get into the sixties and seventies and eighties. It's more like saying there are a lot of artists that got played that should have never gotten played. It, it's it it became the opposite. Now, what also it happened. Who was their career though to that? Who was their career? What do you mean? Who was their career to those independent promoters? You think uh, from that period? 
mostly pretty much anybody that was uh, yeah, on, like, mostly you know, one hit one Genesis, all those people. Uh, well, you know, uh, in the eighties, okay, it became everybody had to pay to get on top forty radio. Got it. So it was regardless of that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I mean, it was regardless, but. It it became a uh, you know if you want to know it, it it's not hard to to figure out which songs never should have been played on the radio in the first place because they sounded bad then they sounded <laughs> bad now but they were and they were played then but they're not played that much now you know you hardly ever hear those certain songs that that were obviously payola hits right 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 well ex explain. Um... Because I, I do want to kind of wrap up this payola talk and, and talk about some other things, but just so that our listeners can understand this from somebody from your perspective, can you describe uh, as basic as you can what was the case that Elliot Spitzer, then Attorney General of, of New York, State of New York, who's now the governor of New York, brought against the labels uh, and the and the radio industry, and it was by the, the early two thousand period uh, that started. All the the news yeah. started that you know like uh, yeah I mean know. what happened is they you know did somebody yeah. screw up they got somebody, somebody got screwed, too cocky well, well somebody screwed up in, including Elliot Spitzer because he went after the wrong they 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 found a few and they, you know Elliot Spitzer's running for governor and okay. uh, you know he was taking a cue from Giuliani you know when Giuliani oh, with, with was Gotti. the attorney general he had and all that so I mean it was. It was strictly a where they had a few isolated cases in New York State where they found different people that really set themselves up, you know. Okay. Uh, you know, would pay for play, and in some cases they were doing uh, some of these programmers that got cited, and some of these companies that got cited, uh, they were actually very legitimate in terms of what they were doing and why they were doing it. But it was it, it it ultimately was you you had you had a few people that weren't doing it for the right reason and also uh, the 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 biggest problem you had was the fact that uh, and, and it gets to that payola being legal okay uh, when when the telecommunications bill was passed and suddenly stations could own unlimited amounts of money and this uh, unlimited amounts of stations rather. And they're attracting all these companies were public and are attracting all this, uh, you know, investment money. Uh, they were talking about radio was saying, well, we're going to find new streams of revenue. You know, we only get so much sense of every advertising dollar. Going back we're to the gonna, stockholder pressure yeah, again. We're yeah. going to get we're going to go after more advertising. We're going to be more aggressive. You know, we're going to get things we didn't get before. We're going to find what a non-traditional revenue is what they started calling it. So, you know, one of the things that everybody knows is after the telecommunications bill, commercial loads doubled on radio because right off the bat, now you have to service the debt. You you know, all these companies paid too much. The the only companies that made out really well in the telecommunications after the telecommunications bill was signed were the ones that sold because their real estate increased by well over 100%. So, you know, in some cases, 1,000% because... The, the companies that were buying radio, like Clear Channel, like CBS, th their business plan was, we're going to buy them now and figure out what to do with them later. Uh -huh. And it was just, it was, it was a land grab. But the guys who made out were the ones that sold at the time because they, they were getting prices that were, yeah, it's <laughs> prime real estate. I mean, they were selling shacks for the price of a mansion. And, <laughs> and, but, and what happened is the, the acquiring station suddenly had, well, you, now you have to service the debt. Well, the only way you could service the debt was cut costs and increase revenue, and 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 so that's why you suddenly had all of this, you know, the uh, uh, um, 
the, the doubling and tripling of commercial loads on radio stations. Is that also when we started losing local disc jockeys and everything was yeah. being networked in, yeah. satellited in from well, others? Yeah, then the, this, the, this company called Profit came up with a system where you could uh, really make it, you, you could have somebody recording multiple stations. In other words, you just cut down the voice tracks, it's put into the system, and you have an instant show where so you don't have to Atlanta, have a live person. doing something for Boston. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like, for Detroit yeah. later the, the guy day. in the morning here in one of the Cleveland stations is, you know, is actually doing it out of L.A., you know, and you have all that going on. Uh, I mean, much of radio in, I, I would say pretty much every market has a certain amount of voice tracking where it appears to be live, but that person is not even in the same city. You know, it's, I, I still think that if they, if they could get disc jockeys to do it from Bangalore, you know, they would. <laughs> and I don't want to give them any ideas. I Good morning, Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I say, oh, well, they work cheap. They work for, you know. <laughs> and I can check my credit card balance yeah. at the same time. But I mean, right? it, it was for the same reason. It was actually for the same reason. And the it still wasn't, uh, first of all, radio believed, the, the, the acquiring radio stations believed their own hype. That, well, we could do this. Well, what happened, even when they doubled the commercial load and they started doing things like you know, bridal fairs and job fairs and all, mm -hmm. anything they could to bring in revenue in a non-traditional way, it it didn't work. They, they still couldn't service the debt properly. You Can know, you, they weren't making the money they thought they would make. They were still getting the same amount of money, uh, 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 the same percentage of the advertising dollar that they were before the telecommunications bill. So what happened is these independent record promoters saw an opportunity to do an above-board deal. And they went right to the radio stations themselves. Uh, in some cases, like Clear Channel, they dealt corporately. Okay. Uh, in the case of CBS, CBS lifted up to the individual, you know, managers of, of, individual of their stations. stations. Yeah, 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 not individual stations, but individual groups. In okay. other words, somebody made the decision for all the stations in Cleveland, somebody made all the decisions for Boston, New York, L.A. And... Uh, it was that this independent record promoter would pay you X amount of dollars. Uh, depending on market, it could be anywhere from close to a half a million or even more to a smaller market where it may be like uh, $100,000, $125,000, $150,000 a year. And the purpose was you still control your playlist. You still control all that. But instead of you reporting to the trades, you report it to us anything that you've added. And we'll make suggestions, like we're working this product and that product, but ultimately you're making the decision right. <laughs> you know? okay. You're making the decision. And of course, that's where it leaves it open of, hey, I really need this and all that. Hey, I'll sweeten the pot if I can get this on instead of that and so on and you so know, forth. You know, a friend of mine who was in the industry is now out, who was worked at a, at a, at a regional record uh, for a yeah. major, said that, uh, and they were working in the radio, uh, they said that, um, and they were working one of the markets up in New York State, which is one of the areas that got yeah. busted. Um, they said that the, uh, uh, you know, the, the the station manager said, if you really want to get these acts on this thing, I, you know, I need a new TV. Yeah, personal. Oh, yeah, and 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 they went back to their boss at the label, yeah. and they said, this guy wants a TV in order to get this stuff on the air, and the boss said, go give it to him, and they're yeah. like, well, he wants it to, me to send it to his house. Isn't that really just going a little bit too far and too obvious? And he's like, look, uh, if you don't do it, somebody else will get their music yeah, on the air. Exactly. I mean, that, that you know, it's, it's like, once again, the garden and the weeds. You know, 
there were some stations. I don't think it was a good idea. I, 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 you know, it was something that it reached a point that stations had to do it because it was the only way you were going to get additional revenue. But you know, these stations paid anywhere from you know half a million plus to in a smaller market maybe a hundred, hundred twenty five, hundred fifty thousand so dollars. Right, right. So you were quoted as saying that like one a major yeah. market was about four hundred thousand yeah. dollars possibly. Now, did that just buy that market for the well, year? You know, it it made the fact that the trade paper, the, the the independent record promoters, would tell the label, "Okay, I got it on the station. Right? I got I got this. I got your song on this this track on these stations." Mm-hmm. Well, then the independent is getting paid by the record label. Then, okay, you got it on. Okay, here's your money. You know, the first of all, they get, they're getting paid on retainer already. But then when they get the rec, you know, the song added, then that becomes a you know a bonus. They're paid. You know, Neil Young had a great song on on the on the, one of his albums called Payola Blues, which you know one of the lines was his five thousand dollars. That ought to get it on, and you know that <laughs> that explains a lot. Now let's be fair to the. I want to be. I want to kind of put the other side of the coin on there, and that is, it, it, you have these radio these labels paying these promoters to to go in and basically buy the spot, buy the tracks, buy the stuff, yeah. music onto the air. What's the difference between that? And then the label's going to a Best Buy or a Transworld FYE store or even a Tower when it was around and buying an end cap. Well, there's a difference. Because you're still it, buying well, for yeah, it, visibility yeah, space it, ex- marketing. Except that uh, radio frequencies are limited. And even though the telecommunications bill changed it somewhat, it's still the fact that we own those licenses. They, they lease that those frequencies. And if they do illegal things, the FCC should be able to take the license away. Now, and it used to be that, uh, you know, community groups could challenge a, a station either to stay a certain format or not to sell it a certain person if they're going to make any changes, anything like that. There used to be that kind of control. And there's a lot less of it now. I mean, it's it, right now, the only way to, uh, even if a, a station blatantly violates something, it's like, well, who has the best lawyer? Well, of course, Clear Channel can afford Back a better lawyer than a community thing group. Again. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's that situation. But the problem was that uh, you, the way Elliot Spitzer got into it was, you know, you did have those guys who were taking the TV sets home for themselves or, you know, getting vacations and all that. And, you know, then you also had the other problem of where you had some stations that would take overnight airplay and sell it. And I, I think there was one station they gave an example. It was like playing Avril Lavigne's song, like every third song or something like that, all <laughs> night long, because then it boosted up. You know, these days songs are everything is sound coded, so you, you stations are monitored, so you know exactly how many times they're playing something. So you can make it look like you've played something 120 times a week, when in reality during the day you hardly played it at all, but you banged it up at night. And that those individual spots were paid for, so that was deception. It, it was a case of catching them on on blatant deception violations like 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 that, uh, you know, where somebody was 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 making personal gain out of it. And then Spitzer took it one step further, and and this this was a problem that really has hurt radio now. Okay, is and and this goes back to when I was in radio. Uh, you know, uh, MMS did an awful lot of free concerts and a lot of promotions. And when we added a new artist, and we had a lot of new artists, we would say to the label, hey, we'd like to break them in and do a free show or a show at the Agora, you know, where it would be a dollar one, which, you know, is close to the frequency and all that. And it helped everyone. 
it helped the station because we were putting on a free show or a low cost show for the you know for listeners. It was helping the label because we were supporting their act, and it 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 was legitimate. It was above board all the way around, and everybody gained something. The artist gained something. The label gained something. WRMS relationship. Yeah. yeah. Well, now that's now it, it it's gone the other extreme. That's illegal. A station cannot add something and get a promotion for it. Because I mean, we always looked at it and and you know, the reason you could say MMS was an honest station is we did an awful lot of free concerts and promotions and all that that we could have at the same point said, hey, okay, you want us to play this? Uh, you know, sure. And and the other thing is album, uh, you know, album radio, alternative radio. Uh, they weren't considered as important by the record labels as top 40 because the rotations are slower, you know, and it's a different kind of, uh, even rotations though- Rotations as in? Uh, how, many, how many times it's played a day, okay. a week, a month, a year. Okay. And, um, you know, in the case of, uh, it, it, I guess, more adult kind of radio, you don't play with such reach and frequency as you do at a teen station that, you know, because teens, it's instant gratification. You have a favorite song, you don't mind hearing it every 20 minutes. <laughs> and so, I mean, it, 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 it goes back to the fact that, you know, top 40 radio, I mean, to this day, there's only so many limited slots and they do play their current music in high rotation. So they be, they are, they'll always be the most important format. So, so these companies have been fined. FCC's come down and said, this is the yeah. problem. This is the problem. Um, and just to kind of wrap up this discussion on payola, and then I'd like to take a music break and I'm going to ask you yeah. to play, to request, to suggest two songs. Um, does payola, here's the question, does payola still happen what form does it take, and will it always happen? Okay. Is it just the, yeah. is the glass is always half full? But, you know, payola, once again, now has been erased in all these stations. Their nose is clean. Their noses are clean. They've but paid. But I hear that's not. I hear they they're paid still doing to, it. They paid their fine. Well, here's, here's what's they happening now. They just found other ways to do it. Here's what's happening. And some of these independent promoters mm -hmm. that, that really were doing the bulk, I mean, these, these guys were making tremendous amounts of money because, first of all, you're paying a station – Let's let's say you're paying a station a half a million dollars a year. Well, you're making so much more of that per song from the label because the label is paying you when you get a record added when you get a song added on a radio station. The label is paying you a considerable amount of money. Like what? Can you give me an example? Like a fee? Well, it, it, you know, it could be anywhere. If they got from, good Charlotte. Yeah, it could be anywhere from tied up in this too. It could be anywhere from it could be anywhere from a thousand bucks to. 10,000, depending on how important it is to the label. The, the one thing I do want to bring up in the 80s, when, okay. when there was a major payola uh, uh, investigation, uh, you had a situation where the payola was so rampant in Top 40 Radio that it was an average of $5,000 to get a record played on, on a you know, major market radio station. Well, these labels started all paying $5,000 to, you know, to get their music played. And there's only so many slots, so not everybody was paying was getting it. And the sign said, you know, I put you in retainer, I'm doing all this, and I haven't got anything on my label added in all these stations for months. So it suddenly became, well, I got to work this one a little harder. And the, you started having the double spiff. So instead of $5,000, it was $10,000 to get it on. And in some cases, 15000 And this is money that went to the independent promoter. Now, the independent promoter then took a percentage of that money and paid the decision maker would it be the program director or the general manager and all that this 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 was the 80s when it reached the point that and, and the labels loved independent record promoters until they started co uh, costing the money 
the labels love third parties where they the labels can say we're doing everything honest you know we we farmed this out and you have to talk to these guys not us but what happens is ultimately the independent promoter is going to hold up the labels so suddenly you had a situation this was the best example of an independent keeping other music off was suddenly it became i mean it cost dancing in the dark by bruce springsteen was a double spiff song on top 40 radio it cost ten thousand dollars roughly per major market station to get that song played but why would for springsteen need... at a yeah. time when he was a, a you know right. one of the most established so why artists. wouldn't the, why was the tail wagging the dog at that point why did the label just sit there and say you know what you're not going to get bruce springsteen in your market unless you just well, play it it was the labels that leaked to nbc that all this payola was going on so in other the words, they were they were they yeah. were sabotaging yeah. the people that yeah, the, were more or less raking them. Yeah, over well, the, the label when it when it became extortion, when it Got became it. pretty much extortion, then the labels blew the whistle. But I mean, it was like in the labels, so you know, la the labels came out of it relatively clean. The independents got blamed, even though it was the labels that set these guys. And that's up. exactly it's, what happened recently with Elliot Spitzer. Yeah, the labels more or less. I mean, they did pay fines. The major labels yeah. did pay fines this time, so they did get out of it totally clean. They didn't get it totally clean, but I'll tell you, those fines—that was the cost of doing business. It it didn't hurt any of these labels. Where it, what have you heard about the stockholders in a lot of these instances when these companies get fined like that? I mean, the stockholders just figure that's that's the way the music industry is, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, it it, it hasn't. Yeah. You never hear them ask for a whole well, board uh, you, of directors. Yeah. Well, you and also all this stuff. you also have something called the RIAA. Yeah. And I do want to talk about uh, yeah. that, but I want to take but, a music break first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want you to give me two songs from two different bands um, from that time period of the mid-70s when you got into radio, when you, when you got that first big job, that were B-sides. I don't want singles. I want the B-sides to your favorite records that were just like, man, I'm going to put this song on and I can work at my desk and, and just dream about how I want to turn this radio station into this thing. What oh, would God, be those there's, two bands? There's so, there's so many of them. I, I can't <laughs> think of a... I mean, you know, as bizarre you can go as something, make yeah, it easy. as bizarre as something like a Susie Quadro, which was great power pop, and oh, yeah. and really wasn't. She never really went national. She was a huge phenomenon in Cleveland, but really not much else. There were so this Roxy music. There was so much that ended up becoming successful. But I mean, you know, Roxy music was so left of center. The New York Dolls were so left of center. You know, Susie Quadro. You know, most album rock stations. Then you know, she was everything wrong about you know and i just thought you know she's cool she's power pop she's bringing something back into the you, all right, know. you know what so most of our listeners on this show have never, never heard of her so why don't oh, we yeah. play something by her because i'm all for education okay so we'll play something by, is there anything by her that you any song title or i can have uh jason pettigrew and she pick something i'll let you i'll see what jason picks. okay all right and then let's get a second band who do you what do you like a roxy music do you want a uh, uh yeah roxy music but but not not the not not one of the early one stuff. Of the, yeah, the early stuff. You know, maybe something like uh, "Do the Strand," "Editions of You," or uh, "Every Dream Home There's a Heartache." One of those. Sounds great. All right, we'll be right back to the AP podcast.
tables Quack tables, place on mables Slow and gentle Sentimental All style served here Louis says he prefer Laissez faire Tired of the tango Fed up with Fandango Welcome back to the AP Podcast. Uh, we're here with John Gorman. Um, let's go uh, again. I, I kind of mentioned before about the some of its mythology, some of its glamorization, some of it is reality about the way that the '70s and the '80s were in the music industry. But when you 
took over, when you came in at MMS and you you basically laid the foundation to build it into what it was, and it broke, what, David Bowie yeah. and Springsteen and uh, uh, Roxy Music was broken out there too. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of... Golden Earring, I mean, it goes on and on. That's... So so the as a, as a station, WMMS back in the late 70s, when it, when it was really picking up steam in the early 80s, uh, that was, it was one of, if not the most powerful... FM stations in the country yeah. besides what you probably had in LA and New York yeah. at the time. Although we were off the radar. The reason MMS happened as much was, influential, let me say that. Yeah. I mean the reason MMS happened was it, it and it, it was something that, that gave was, birth to what was then called FM progressive rock. Was it just the right people, the right personalities all no, in the same it, spot? It, it 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 what it actually was there was an FCC decision in nineteen sixty six that markets, I believe market size is sixty and up had to have a certain percentage of its programming. If they owned an FM station, there had to be a certain amount of original programming on the FM. Well, that freaked out radio station owners. The FCC, which was a different, it, you know, it, it, it wasn't adversarial the way it is today towards, towards the public. <laughs> You're right. Uh, it was actually, the FCC actually served a good purpose back then. And they, was, they were trying to jumpstart the FM band. And, you know, radio owners say, well, if I don't have to do anything special, I'll just simulcast what I'm playing on the AM. So suddenly when they had to come up with separate programming, that, that's what gave birth to beautiful music stations and all that. But you also had a Which ties social... directly to the, to the advent and rise, technically, of stereo. Yeah. Okay. Well, and the other part was you also had this major social upheaval and baby boomers and every, you know, suddenly... You had music, you know, rock and roll had reached a point where the you had Bob Dylan crossing over and you had all of these acts and suddenly you couldn't do a song in two or three minutes. And albums had become important. Where in the 60s, uh, Top 40 Radio was only the Beach Boys, the Rolling Stones, and the Beatles. They had album tracks played. Suddenly, you had great music being put out. And it, uh, what I call it, it was like the difference between a small record with a big hole and a big record with a small hole. And you, you had so much creativity. I mean, you, you still look back at the 60s and 70s period at, at the amazing amount of creativity and it had to do with the fact that you suddenly had all these people who were young that had come of an age where, you know, it was, we were changing society. We were changing the world. We were questioning authority. That, that had never happened before. You never had, had people questioning authority in such massive amounts. Okay. You know, I mean, the 50s. It kind of came out of the civil rights movement and, the, and with Vietnam pushing it yeah. as, as well. Yeah, civil yeah. rights and, and, and Vietnam and, you know, and, and the influence of, of an Allen Ginsberg and people like that into the, the mainstream. Poetry. Yeah, 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 Kerouac. But you suddenly had this new audience. And they demanded their own music. And they were going to get their music. If they couldn't get it on the radio, they found out otherwise. Jimi Hendrix's IU Experience sold a, a million copies. Today, you know? yeah. He sold a million copies of that, that first album before it ever got played on the radio. So, I mean, that was an example. So what happened is you had these FM stations looking for programming, and you had these people that wanted to play their own music. You know, And I was of that generation where... I want to be able to be uh, play my own music. I'm I don't want to be limited to just what Top 40 is playing. How about if you had a station you could play album cuts and you don't have to sit through the Ohio Express or the 1910 Fruit Gum Company, or, <laughs> or, you know, or anything the top. You know, I mean, Top 40 at at you know one point. I mean, it was like probably 60 percent of what they played was great music. The other 40 was crap. And this was like here's a chance. And it was just so much music coming out from so many places. 
And a lot of a lot of music that used to be strictly in the cult items and the few new suddenly blues and jazz and fusion, all this was coming into the mainstream and it was colliding with one another. And you there was more artistic freedom given uh, by labels to artists because the artists that had the most amount of artistic freedom seemed to be selling the most amount of music. So I mean, all of the it, it was an amazing time. And uh, the way I got into MMS, I actually came from Boston, and, and, and Denny Sanders, who I worked with in Boston, had come to MMS a, a year earlier. Uh, the station was owned by Metro Media when Denny went to work with it. Metro Media sold it to a smaller company called Mallwright, which was out of Mount Clements, Michigan. And Milton Malt, who was the, uh, the, the head of Mallwright at the time, wanted to change WMMS to a country FM. He wanted to change, and when word got out, the community, it's uh, Henry Spieth Jr. and and also a young Dennis Kucinich, sent, did petitions before he ran to for keep, mayor. Yeah, yeah, oh, long before, okay. did petitions to keep MMS progressive rock format, and yeah, the FCC had said, well, if you can get X amount of signatures, let's say it was you know two thousand, then we'll consider it. Well, he had, they ended up getting like you know three times that amount, so Malwright had to stay for Malwright to acquire the license. It was held up for a year. Wow. Because of this. And for Mallory to acquire the license, they had to keep WMMS in the album rock, progressive rock format for at least one year. If they showed hardship, like, well, we're losing money on it, then after that year, they had the right to change. And Mallory was putting all their effort into WHK, the AM station. In fact, they used to talk, the owner used to say, I bought WHK for $3 million and they threw in MMS for free. Uh, actually, the FM. He didn't even pay, you know, in those days. AM was still the king. Well, AM was still the king. Uh, and, and, and the reason being is if you wanted to buy an FM radio, it cost twice as much as buying just an AM standard radio. Because it was radio. the new technology. Yeah. It was the new phase. Yeah. Of and wave. it really wasn't until 1976 that legislation was passed where I think it was any radio over like $12 had to have both the AM and the FM band. Just like, you know, TV, UHF used to be the option. Mm. And you know, until legislation was passed where it couldn't it could no longer be that way. You could no longer charge a premium for that. So you had all of these things colliding. You know, you had you 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 had people that were finding these these were kids that were going out and buying FM radios so they could hear this music they could no longer hear in AM. And and FM became this radical new voice. I mean, suddenly AM became how you defined bad radio. And FM is how you define good radio. And uh, the Malwright had put a lot of money into WHK. They, th there was a format on there that wasn't doing very well, what was then called Middle of the Road and playing, uh, you know, a lot Neil of soft Dine standards. Was, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Yeah, I, Neil was still a rock Neil artist back then. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Neil yeah, was, it would be. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he, he, he didn't lose. He, he was still kind of cool back then. Not... Very cool. So the middle of, road would probably be more like uh, like Dusty Springfield and yeah, maybe even Dusty. But it was like Matt Monroe and people like that okay, that okay. we've all forgotten. And uh, yeah, so here suddenly you have this. Fronty and Teicher. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, they had come up with this bizarre format for WHK, and they spent a ton of money on it. You know, they had billboards all over Cleveland for it, and it was a cover hits format that they played hit music, but not by the artist that created it. So. <laughs> <laughs> if you played Unchained Melody, you didn't play the Righteous Brothers version. You played Johnny Mathis covering it. But 
<laughs> you take Johnny Mathis. You get a little you know, old you, fast. Yeah, well, and then you take chances out, oh, which is Johnny Mathis song. Well, you wouldn't play the Johnny Mathis version, but you'd play like, you know, the, I don't know, the Anita Kerr singers or something like that doing it. <laughs> so it, so they were putting all their attention on WHK and left MRMS alone. We were the kids in the back room. So there was a kind of a perfect spot, perfect yeah. time thing. Yeah. And also, when 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 uh, Metro Media sold the station, a lot of the people that were on the Metro Media station actually got MRMS to a certain level, like Billy Bass and Martin Perlick and all that. It wouldn't have happened without them. These were the business people behind it? Or no, like, this, no, these were the original people. That original DJs? Yeah, Billy Bass used to be okay. the program director and okay. of, of, of MMS, and Martin Perlick was a personality, and there was a Sean. It was a, you, you had a staff back then. Then. But when Metro Media bought the station, a lot of these people left or went their own way. They, there was the uncertainty of Mallory. Denny stayed, and then Denny called me, and I came down originally as music director. And it's like the the great thing, the bad thing was, okay, we're getting paid $150, $200 a week, you know, but not making money. But at the same point, we have an opportunity. We have a free ticket. I mean, it, it, nobody's standing in our way. As as long as we don't put four-letter words on the air or anything like that, we, we have all the freedom George in the George Carlin world. bit, right. Yeah. yeah. And the other part is that we looked at it and said, you know, we, we don't want to be gadflies. We don't want to play music just for the sake of playing it. You know, we want to be the biggest radio station in America. I mean, that was the goal back in 1973-74. We want to be the biggest station in America. We also had a... St we. We couldn't afford to hire named talent. So most of the talent came out of college radio. I mean, you know, uh, Le uh, Betty and Leo and Matt the Cat. So and these all people the... were relatively green when it came to commercial yeah, for, radio. For most of them, it was their first uh, job in commercial radio. And in some cases, it was their only job in commercial radio. Um, and, and, and the fact that you had all of these people involved, and it was a very... Uh, I, I can't say it was democratic. You didn't have the total amount of freedom. It wasn't completely free from If I want to play an hour of you know, uh, classical, I can. But you had to play certain selections of current music, and then you had to keep to the interest yeah, of the listener. Yeah, yeah. and also you Give them the hits. Yeah, you had to play in a certain way, but you had the freedom of of of. Uh, building it and constructing it your own way. So the disc jockeys had the ability to take an yeah. alternate cut off of a Yes record yeah. and play it. Yeah, and it was a case of where everybody got a copy. The one thing we do is everybody who was at the station on mm -hmm. air got a copy of every album that came out. So they could listen to the album too and say, you know, because they, we had a few different music directors over here. In fact, I was, the, I was one and then uh, Donna Halper who discovered... Uh, 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 Rush, and uh, Charlie Kendall, who really was uh, he the tubes and a few acts like that. Okay, and so I mean, you did have people leading up to, uh, various music directors, and Shelley Style, who found a lot of music. Uh, I, I think Hall and Oates and a lot of things came out of that period, and then Leo became the music director in the late seventies. And so you had these people, you know, as 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 music directors. They were music nerds. Yeah, but if somebody heard anybody in the staff, if they heard something they really liked, they could come to the music director and, and to me and say, "Hey, I really like this thing. I really, I, you know, I think I should play." And everybody had their, you know, everybody on the staff had their own like acts that they championed themselves or sounds, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and you know, people remember well, MMS broke all this music. Well, there was just as much, if not more that we didn't break, that never happened, you know? And it's like, 
the, the more times at, at, uh, that you that you're at bat, the more opportunity you have of hitting a home run. So it it was a case of where let's take these chances. Not everyone is going to work, but let's take a chance. And every and and I'll tell you, everybody in that staff contributed. I mean, if there was ever a team, I mean, this MMS was it back back then. I mean, it it everybody had input, and I mean, they had to be the lead. You know, I mean, I. I, I was the benevolent dictator, I guess you could say. But, you know, there was an awful lot of freedom allowed because I had a great staff. And everybody in that staff, I mean, it, 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 was, it, it was their goal to also achieve to be the biggest radio station in America, but doing it our way as opposed to, yeah, we could have done it by playing nothing but the hits. But we felt we could, we could do it all, and we, we proved it. And the great thing is, Malwright was concentrating the AM, so they had no idea, nor did they care what was happening with the FM. They were going to deal with that later. And it wasn't until a person named Kyle Hirsch came in as general manager who got it. He was only a couple of years older than me, and he got what we were doing. He had a sales background, but he also was very well versed in music. He understood what we were doing, and then he was the one that championed us, and he we we kept our freedom because he saw this is what was going to happen. But then he provided us the promotional and marketing tools that we needed. And back then it was simply bumper stickers. And, you know, we had that buzzard. And it was like, you know, we fought to say, look, we think we can sell these buzzard shirts. And, you know, profits can go to a free clinic and different charities like that. And Carl was the one that said, okay, go ahead and do it. Now, a lot of, I would imagine a lot of band uh, lead singers or, or the, like that in most bands there's the one there's the business person there's the person that makes the decisions yeah. hopefully um, but you also probably have college radio uh, station managers listening to this right now and you've probably got people that maybe have their own small t-shirt designing company or yeah. something like that <clears throat> and when you have a de- when you have a situation like you did where you've got a radio where you've got a group of people that are now becoming hot and they're now becoming recognized on the street, and they're getting, uh, you know, written up in the papers and stuff as being very influential and, and so forth, so on. Then uh, the dynamics sometimes change because now it's not. Sometimes it doesn't become about us; it becomes about me. So how do you keep that us going while dealing with the eventual kind of like, hey, yeah. I'm in the spotlight. I kind of like this. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like a band. You know, it, it, it's very much like a band. It's very much like a, a sports team where, yeah, you're always going to have, uh, you know, your superstars. But everybody on the team is also contributing and everybody is part of the, the whole, you know. So it's a, they, they, you didn't have that kind of, I mean, there was never a jealousy. Everybody found their own really? niche and loved it. I mean, the, the one thing we never had was a conflict. And if we did, in the rare cases that happened, uh, that meant that that person was uncomfortable with the station and that person ended up leaving on their own. I mean, you know. But it was it, like a family. That had to be yeah. hard. And, and like, you know, and like, like all families, I mean, you, you know, you, you do have occasional internal problems and all that. But we had very, very little of it. Every, it, it was almost like, you know, everybody played their own musical instrument and contributed to the whole. I mean, it, it was really a case of where, uh, you know, it, 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 it wasn't driven by any one person. I mean, my job was just to keep it together and oversee it. You know, I, I, I don't know. I was the coach of the team or, you know, however you want to look at it. But I also had a championship team. And my, my job really was to make that team even better. And, I mean, I lived it. I mean, MMS to me and, and, and also Denny was probably the person I spent the most amount of time with because, you know, Denny and I had known each other since Boston 
So, I mean, we kind of were the architects of this thing. But, you know, our job was to to really keep it as, as democratic as possible and ha- let everyone have input. And even though we did have certain rules, you do have to play A, B, and C, and D and all that. It's how you play it. And it's also, we had a huge library open that you could, I mean, there were actually a lot of albums and don't hold me to think of any particular one <laughs> that may have been a year or two old that were rediscovered and we started playing and then all of a sudden, I mean, the labels hated it because the labels have a game plan of, you know, what they're working and suddenly we'd pull something out was maybe a year or two years old and start playing it and it's like, it becomes popular. Somehow we missed it the first time around but we caught it the second time around. Do you, you know, you see this a lot in, uh, in uh, entertainment shows, actually, on television, where you see the band getting a gold record or platinum record or something like that, or they're going in and they're they're doing. Uh, you also notice that some of the radio conventions where the bands go and they play yeah. and they do their obligatory thank you so much for your support, blah 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 blah. But do you remember those times? And we get it at AP where we have bands actually come into our office and, and sincerely, yeah. sincerely thank us um, because they say we did wrote something or we did something and it changed the direction of their career. Do you remember certain bands? Where they actually came in and they, they looked you right in the eye and said, "Because of you and your team here, we are now not working in a in a restaurant." <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know. Oh well, I mean, everybody from you know Bruce Springsteen on. I mean, it, 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 Ian Hunter. I mean, so much of of the acts of the seventies and eighties genesis. I mean, you know, they, these are now established acts. But uh, no, I mean. The acts remembered us, and the one thing uh, that that a lot of the acts did, that, you know, we had them cut IDs and all that, and and we get people like Springsteen and Bono that they know, you know, Bono this day doesn't lend his name to anything. I mean, he'll support charities, but I mean, he doesn't. Right. He's never lent his name to a product, except he did cut something for MMS, and he did a takeoff. You know, Springsteen. I think we have one of the only we had one of the only Springsteen IDs where it was like, uh, I don't have a radio, but Miami Steve does, and he lets me listen to MMS and. And Bono came up with, well, I'm Bono, and he's the Edge, and all of that, and the Edge lets me listen to him. You know, so, <laughs> I, but I mean, it was that kind of thing. I, one that I one that I remember was a, oh, it was, God, I, I forget, maybe ten, twelve years ago, maybe even more. Uh, I ran it to John Taylor of Duran Duran, and it was like. He started by saying, oh, God, you guys are so great. I mean, it was the only station I ever heard, like Martha Hoople and all these bands you were playing. And you, you played us like, you know, Planet Earth when nobody else would play us and all that. Because, I mean, Duran Duran, one of the breakout markets was, was Cleveland. So, I mean, yes, the artists do remember. Not every artist. Sure. You know, some of them, they make it. They forget who you are and this and that. You know, a, a Tom Petty was one that, uh, you know, when he made it, he forgot everybody, you know. He, he, uh, you know, there are other acts that no matter how big they got, like the Eagles, one of the all-time biggest acts, they, re- they remembered when we played them when they were no one. Bob Seger, the same way. So, yeah, there, there are an awful lot of acts that, that do remember. And also a lot of the acts that were kind of exclusive to Cleveland because to this day they can come into Cleveland and, and, and sell a large hall where in another market they'd barely fill a club. Good point. Very, very good point. Do you... um? Just because uh, in the set in the in the last portion of this this podcast, um, I want to talk about new technology and where everything's going. So I kind of want to use this question as the bridge. We're going to take another music break, but I want to use this as the bridge. But you know, the, every business, every um, category of business has its conventions. 
and there are seminars and things like that. And everybody goes away once or twice a year, and then there's all these panels or these keynote speeches, and they pontificate and theorize and Nostradamusize and all this other stuff about what the future is going to hold. Back in the early 80s, in the mid-80s, what were they saying then was going to be the wave? Do you remember? Well, it it was a case of where... As you, in, st- you had the A-Track yeah. was dead by then, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the CD had come into its own. I remember a lot of a lot of radio stations. Uh, we weren't among them, but actually, like radio chains, uh, and uh, the banned stations from giving away albums and cassettes, especially cassettes, because they felt, well, that's going to take away from radio listening. as promotional content. As promotional, yeah, calling fifth caller, you get the free. Yeah. New album of the Genesis. Yeah, which I thought was totally Tubes. crazy. If somebody wants to listen to their own music, they'll listen to their own music, and they're going to remember where they heard it because they're going to want to hear more new music. Amazing. So, I mean, you, 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 did, have, uh, you did have those fears. But, uh, what, you know, when, when uh, I don't want to jump too ahead, but it reached a point where radio wasn't looking at the future. It was just concentrating on the present. And, you, you know, it's like anything else. When you start to believe your own hype, it's over. You're going to lose it. And it reached a point where radio started believing its own hype. Before we before we jump out of the seventies, there was one thing I, I, d- I dug up because you talked about it actually in an interview online one time. And I need to just for the context and also with the history, the stuff that we're going through right now with yeah. our government and the FCC and the board. And this is a little bit of historical. Moment. Could you talk about? And I never heard about this. The movement to restore democracy group, and Spir- uh, Richard Nixon's vice president Spiro Agnos. Role in that, or was it FCC thing? Oh, back then, I was actually part of a. I was actually part of a uh, a lawsuit. Really? Uh, Now, I mean, this is 1972. Uh, no, this seventy one. Yeah, yeah, this is like seventy. Because it sounded one, really rebellious. Yeah. but I was I was in Boston at the time, and I was actually. Uh, very, uh, I was actually uh, let go from a radio station because I played a song called "Don't Give Me No Goose for Christmas, Grandma," because the owner interpreted. Yeah, uh, goose uh, was the uh, was the was heroin, and grandma was the dealer. Even though none of that was true, it was when Spiro Agnew did this. Well, you know, he what he did was that his Tipper Gore moment. Uh, well, no, I mean, he, you know, the, the the Nixon administration is very concerned that you suddenly had so many different voices. You know, you 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 know where you started to have underground newspapers and you started to have FM stations that that, that are questioning the status quo. Well, you know, Spiro Agnew, with the growth of FM radio and progressive radio and all of these different stations that are playing anti-war songs and all that. and Ford and and really critical, and that, yeah, yeah. And very critical of the administration. That was Spiro Agnew's way of, of saying to the owners, well, you know, if you keep playing this stuff, we'll get you. So what was the, what was the, what was the point of it? What, what were they trying to do? Uh, censorship? They're trying to get censorship. They're trying to get uh, more so, even though they tried to say a lot of it was drug-related, it was mostly anti-war related. So what was the rule? You can't play... Well, there was never a rule. It was just a threat. <laughs> yeah. There was, it was just so a threat. So it wasn't a bill that was no. passed. It was just it, a, it was a... Yeah. It was just a threat, but a lot of people ended up losing their jobs uh, because of... of the McCarthyism. Oh, it was. I mean, you know, I mean, how, how much, nothing, nothing has really changed. I mean, what did, what did we have for the last eight years, you know? <laughs> you know, it, there's always, and this guy actually had more control over media than anybody else. 
But so he you, also gave his his the point is every time you try to control something like that, something else is going to come along. It's a law of physics. Whack-a-mole. It's a law of physics. For every action is a reaction. If you try to push something into a corner, it's going to end up pushing just a strong back so, to so you. So he went around the nation and made speeches to groups and organizations. He actually and said, only made he only actually we made a handful of this yeah. bad music. But you know, don't forget in those days you a station could lose their license. Oh, if you okay. weren't serving the public interest. So when Agnew made that statement, it did scare a lot of owners and saying, uh oh, I better clean it up. I better not play, you know. I remember, you know, stations banning subterranean homesick blues by Bob Dylan because Johnny's in the basement mixing up medicine. Oh, drug sign. So as you said, there's a reaction against what ended up causing what was the reaction against that made this go away? Uh, what made what it was go away was going away. <laughs> well, it, a, or no, actually, of, Agnew, he got yeah, hit with tax yeah. evasion. Well, I mean, yeah, all those guys. Yeah, you know, uh, Nixon said he wasn't a crook. Well, he was. Spiro Agnew, you know, he was a crook too. I mean, you know, we we see what's happening in the current administration as well. You know, it's a history repeats itself. But um, I was part of a a lawsuit uh, against the FCC when the FCC backed. Spiro Agnew. So you filed a lawsuit. You were part of a I was part class of a, action yeah, against the I was part the of a class action. With, oh, okay. Yeah, so you weren't no, getting sued. You were suing no, them. Yeah. You were part of that. Yeah. Right. And it did cause it did cause a back down. I mean, it 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 stopped any further because I mean, what happened is it became rights, a witch hunt. Because I, I mean, how many lyrics we can you look at and find and and and, and manufacture double entendres to? So I mean, that that's. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, and and some are real, but many you can exaggerate. I mean, you know, don't give me no goose for Christmas grammar, believe me. That wasn't about a, a pusher. <laughs> uh, it's going to make me uh, take another look at grandma got run over by reindeer a little differently now. So oh, I'm exactly. Gonna... <laughs> yeah. Well, that was that was the sequel, I guess. <laughs> well, let's pick let's the, the second two songs I'd like to take on the second music break and then we'll we'll wrap this up because as we talk about the future here is uh, 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 give me your two uh, and this could be of all time, so we don't have to pick a, a specific era. Yeah. So I'm giving you a break here. Give me your two rebel songs. Oh, one is definitely Precious by the Pretenders. Okay, I good. Mean, I, I, I look at that. That's, that's, that's Chrissy Hines' version of Respect. You know, see, that's, that's, that's the other version of Aretha, you know. Right, right. And, oh, God, another one. God, uh... I'll, I'll have to go way back. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bob good. Dylan, and it still holds true today. Uh, uh, there's so many of them, but I'll, I'd pull out with God on our side because that's what all the wars are about today. Great. We'll be right back after this break. Cause I'm precious 
shouldn't let your manners slip your teeth. Make me wanna, make me wanna, make me make it. Oh, so cool. Oh, we gonna bound and bound and bound and bound and bound and show it. Oh, we want to do it, do it, do it, do it, do it on the pavement. Oh, maybe, maybe I'm gonna have a baby. Oh, we was to do it. Oh, we do it all night. I 
to memorize With guns in their hands And God on their side The First World War, boys It came and it went The reason for fighting I never did get But I learned to accept it Accept it with pride For you don't count the dead when God's on your side The Second World War came to an end We forgave the Germans and then we Six million in the ovens they fried The Germans now to have God on their side I've learned to hate the Russians All through my whole life If another war comes It's them we must fight To hate them and fear them To run and to hide And accept it all bravely With God on my side But now we got weapons of chemical dust If I them were forced to, then fire them we must One push of the button, and it shot the world wide And you never ask questions when God's on your side. Through many dark hours, I've been thinking about this. That Jesus Christ was Betrayed by a kiss But I can't think for you You'll have to decide Whether Judas Iscariot Had God on his side
So now as I'm leaving I'm weary as hell The confusion I'm feeling Ain't no tongue can tell The words fill my head And fall to the floor That if God's on our side He'll stop the next war Now it's the future. Uh, it, it, before we get into the future, we're going to talk about today, right now, because there has been a lot of changes. And as we were talking before we started uh, recording this, it's it's literally it's the Wild West right now. Yep. And, and it's kind of like I try and tell readers, um, it's like when you and I were growing up, it was like our grandparents who grew up, the record player came out yep. and it was silent movies. Yep. And this is all within about a 20 year period. Then talking radio, yeah, talking movies, radio, uh, color, yeah, <laughs> and then you know within about thirty years uh, total time period, television, yeah, started kicking it. And well, it, it even just, when the album, the, the the you know the album was invented, to, yeah, to, to a the album and the forty five and all that, and then that led to the CDs, and that led to where we're heading today. So we are actually living in history. We're going through the history that, that for a lot of the listeners here, probably their grandparents, and yeah. in some cases their great-grandparents, but went through when they were growing up. Yeah. So this is actually a very, very exciting yeah. time to be going through. So if I'm, I'm a student and I want to get into the music industry and you have all these layoffs and you still have consolidations going on yeah. and you know we had Kevin Lyman from the Warped Tour on here and he thought there was going to be one major record label within about 5 years. Well there is. So it, it's like it's where, called, where's it to go yeah. to be safe? Okay, well actually where's the future for, as a as a student uh, like where do yeah. I go and I okay. that's the opportunity. Okay, forget the major labels. Forget okay. his here here is one point. Uh you know, you've had all of these mergers with labels uh, and you have the RAAA, which is the sort of quasi-Nazi organization. Recording, that, yeah. With with, I mean, a tremendous with a tremendous. I don't remember seeing the the N word yeah. in there someplace. Yeah. Recording Industry Association of America Nazis. Okay. Yeah. Well, they must have added it. Yeah. It must be new. Yeah. Okay. Well, somewhere there's a swatch sticker in the logo. <laughs> I, I I'm sure I'm sure you could find it if you look very carefully. It's subtle, right? But the problem is. And this is both with radio. The recording industry looked at it. Well, if we unite, we have four major labels. We, we you know, we we swallow up these other labels, and you know, r all these labels are hurting because they have they have debt service too. You just don't buy something and you own it, and you know, you got to pay for it. And so suddenly, the labels had incurred all these costs. And I mean, you're down to four major companies, and they control pretty much everything. It and 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 you know, during the the legal payola is they controlled everything you heard on the radio, and uh, it you know it killed the alternative rock format on FM. It did. That, Why? Know, because it, it became too redundant. Well, because suddenly the music. I mean, was what made the alternative format happen was a lot of independent labels. Right. Okay. But suddenly, when the independent labels could no longer get played, all you're playing is, you know, the things that are on the major labels, and that's not necessarily where popular culture is. And so in both the label's case and in radio's case, they were no longer, radio was no longer being the soundtrack to popular culture. It was no longer being the soundtrack to the listener. 
and the major labels were no longer releasing the product that the masses and the, that the people wanted to hear. And so that's why you've, you, you've ended up in this situation where the major labels are dying, radio's dying. I mean, it, it, you know, I was just reading something in the trade the other day saying, you know, and, and this, this is a pro-radio trade saying, how did we lose an entire generation of listeners, meaning, you know, younger people? It's like, well, you weren't paying what younger people wanted to hear. I mean, I, I, there isn't, I can't think of a format on commercial radio, it is playing what people want to hear anymore. But isn't the argument that the, yeah. the, the corporations make, the media, well, the media corporations saying is, well, if the people didn't want it, they wouldn't watch it or well, listen to it. Uh, well, exactly. So, label label so sales. So what is it? Are they, well, do see, they want their whole thing is, dessert or are they being forced yeah, fed the dessert? Uh, okay, I'll, let's take Clear Channel. You know, Clear okay. Channel buys... <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, they're big guys, yeah. so, right. Well, Clear Channel buys all these radio stations. Right. Then they buy all the concert promoters. Right. And all the venues and all that. That was their way of controlling popular culture. They felt that if we have that kind of power, we become an influence as to what people want to see and hear. But weren't they claiming that it was because of synergy? Because then they could have, uh, you know, they yeah. could have the TV reporters be doing spots for the radio stations and vice versa because they're co-owned. And so it's all this great well, yeah, synergy. I, yeah, I mean, there was all of that. But besides, the, the bigger picture, the biggest picture of all was to control popular culture. And with CBS's case... You know, Viacom owns CBS. Viacom is Paramount Pictures. It's CBS. T it's you know the CBS network. MTV uh, and, right. and both Clear Channel and and Viacom own uh, you know billboards and all. That. So they do control a lot of what you see and hear, and they f and and their feeling was and on paper it, it probably made sense is well if suddenly the only thing that people see and hear is what we are giving them then we are controlling popular culture. We're going to control what people... We're going to mold people to buy what we give them. So uh, there is a quote, actually. It was a quote I found. Clear Channel CEO Lowry Mays uh, at the time said, we're not in the business of providing news and information. We're not in the business of providing well-researched music. We're simply in the business of selling our customers' products. And he said that in that, For Fortune yeah. magazine. Lowry Mays, that was the most truthful statement anybody in the radio industry has made in the past 20 years. I mean, no, no <laughs> I, I, I take it back. It's okay. not true. There's a lot of good people, but I mean, sure, that, well, no, that there is. Was, we have to make sure yeah, that there clear, are a lot of yeah, really good people. I mean, people. as far as Clear Channel goes, that was probably the only truth we ever received from that company. But the the point was, they wanted, they felt that they could control popular culture, just as in, and you can look at it in 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 any kind of business. You can look at the newspaper business when you had consolidation in the newspaper sure. business. It's like, well, we can control what. Yeah, you know, I mean, the newspaper business still is. Is you well look at what yeah. happens at the L.A. Times? Yeah, I mean you have liberal and conservative and moderate. Sure, sure, know. but it does come down to the yeah. value and how you're making money in yeah. and and, and, and the same thing with magazines. You know, sure. we used to have a lot of independent magazines. Now they've been bought up by the exactly. majors. Right, but the feeling there is we're going to have that much more influence and we'll be able to create platforms where one can promote the other. But that's not how it works. You know, even the fashion industry. You know, when suddenly you had all the consolidation and all of these, you know, designer people were bought up by major corporations and all that. Uh, you know, that once again is a case of, okay, we'll control what people wear. Right. And But where things really start, where new styles and new ideas and new designs start is on the street. So then and through independent thinking. I mean, you know, think uh, major corporations never come up with an original idea. You know, if they're smart... They pick up something. They pick up on something. But usually it has an independent form. Look at uh, 
organic food, where used to have these little tiny health food stores that only a handful of people went to, and, and you know, and they were very conscious of their health and what they were putting in their body. Now look what happened. I mean, you have Whole Foods, you know, which owns, you know, they're a national chain that owns, uh, you know, these these supermarkets all over the country that sell primarily organic and 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 healthy foods. They they won't sell the uh, the standard brands. So okay, I'm sorry. Go on, finish. So I mean, what happened is. This, it, it was the street that gave birth to the organic movement. You know, it, it was independent thinkers. Sure. It was people that said, I, I don't want to put that, that crap in my body. I don't want to put red dye number three and all that. And, you know, with music, it, it became, I don't want to hear what they're playing on the radio anymore. And, it, 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 and at the same time, you had something new developing called the Internet. And the Internet became a new means of communication. So suddenly people are talking to each other worldwide. And part of it is if you're young, you're turning each other on to not only new music, but authors, magazines, books. Film you know, directors, everything. Poetry, yeah. all of these things. And so the new you know, popular culture is no longer has anything to do with the existing media. It has now all gone into the internet. Well, the gatekeepers are gone. Yeah. Exactly. The gatekeepers are limited. Now you do have, you know, Rupert Murdoch buys, you know, MySpace and Google buys this. So they're trying to be the gatekeepers again. But, yeah. Yeah. But it will only go so far. And it, it, history repeats itself time and time again. You know, as soon as, it, going back to the 70s, as soon as FM radio started getting ratings. And I remember when WMMSBWHK, and it was a shock. It's like, we're putting all this money in WHK and MMS, we had... All right, is, woke up. The yeah. people up in Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden it was like, Wait a second. We have to, you know, we have something here. And luckily, you know, Carl Hirsch was the manager, and Carl got it. He he knew it. He we protected were doing. you from the yeah. from the from the bean counters, yeah. more or less, right? Exactly. So if I'm a if I'm a student out there and I want to get like we have bands that ask us to say, should we sign to a major label? And ra- and we say right now, no, no. It's too sa- so yeah, so so if I'm a band or if I'm a if I'm a student and I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe I should get into the radio industry. What would you say? Uh, don't go near it. Start your really? own. start your own. Uh, internet radio station, you mean? Start your own internet radio but station. What about this if whole you, sound exchange thing in these if new If you FCC have that, rules? well, I think that this one is going to be. I, the sound exchange and and what's well, going on with the RIAA. To our listeners a little bit, just yeah. just briefly. Uh, well, they they, they, they took coming, the rates up. They're coming up with a new royalty. Royalty. And the royalty was based on a bill that uh, the RIAA managed to sneak through Congress, much like the telecommunications bill. You know, th- nobody knew. There was never any hearing. That, the radio revisions actually tacked on as I was sailing through Congress. So, I mean, because usually you have to have hearings and all that. Sure. A similar thing happened with the, uh, the, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. It was in the middle of the night that thing went through Congress. Uh, I, I think a lot of Congress people, in fact, I've talked to a couple that signed the deal and then realized, whoops, is that what it, it really meant? Right. Because the controls, if you read the, the what's, you know, the DMCA is what they call it, um, you'll see the controls, like if you're a digital radio station, uh, if, you're, if you're doing digital programming, you, you're not supposed to play two of the same artist. I mean, it's not just that you give royalties. Off the same record within yeah. so much time. Yeah, yeah. And, and the royalties are based on something. The royalties are based on how many listeners you have. And the more listeners you have, the greater royalties you have to pay. I mean, it is really something that it, 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 it is so anti-business and so anti-creative. And I mean, it, it, it is absolutely something. And oh, well, here's the other part is 
nobody, when internet radio started and it was developing, you never heard anything about the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. It was only when it reached a certain critical mass where suddenly it was noticeable. Internet radio was an influence. Then that's when the RIAA stepped in and said, well, we want to pound the flesh. But, the, but, the, but, their, de, but their, their, their defense, they're going to say, we're protecting the business interests of the artists, right? We it, need to get our artists it, paid for that music. It, and so these yeah. people are playing these songs illegally and not paying for it. So yeah. thus they are screwing over the artist. And, yeah, and that's bull. Internet radio has probably done more for the independent artist than for, for any artist. So then what, what do you Be, say to acts like... Um, Metallica for a very long time has said, you're not, you got to pay us every single time. You know, I, I think that that hurt Metallica. I think that, I, I think that the acts that have taken the industry side have really been hurt by that because, you know, let's go back to the fact that the, why I tell acts not to sign to a major label. If you want to sign to a major label, go ahead, but you're never going to see any royalties. Hmm. Reason being is the cost to promote and market comes out of your royalties. And, the only reason why you'd ever want to be on a major label is for tour support. But you're not going to make royalties. And, and, the, and the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, if you read it very carefully, is it's really an option that the artists get paid. And who decides if, you know, internet radio is playing an awful lot of independent artists and a lot of artists that don't get played on, on commercial radio, most of which are not on major labels. Yeah, I mean... I mean, you could take, you know, the Thievery Corporation, just off the top of my head. You know, they're on their own label. They're on a small label. They're never going to see royalties from internet radio play, but they will see sales from internet radio play because it's, you know, when you're listening to these stations like, you know, Radio Paradise and, and K-Pig and all that, they're playing music that hasn't been heard. I mean, they're, they're, they're playing real music that's on small independent labels that deserve to be heard but can no longer, because of the way things are with commercial radio, will no longer get played. And you also have a, 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 another added advantage with internet radio is there's a passion. Internet radio stations, sure. for the most part, aren't making money. So the people that are doing these internet radio stations are doing it out of the passion of music. Isn't that the kind of person you want that's turning you on to new music or even playing existing music? You know, there are internet radio stations that are playing old stuff, oldies and classic rock, but they're giving you the stuff that hasn't been played on, you know, that, that weren't on the major labels. And the, you know, if a major label has nothing to gain from the airplay, they're not going to promote it. So it, internet radio is serving a purpose. It is helping acts that normally wouldn't get heard. It's giving them airplay. It's giving them exposure. And what the RIAA is doing is actually it's squashing the, the independent label and the independent artist by saying, you know, you have to, the stations have to pay a certain amount to the RIAA, to Sound Exchange, which is part of the RIAA, directly to them. I mean, are the TV Corporation ever going to see a penny from any airplay to ever get internet radio? No. Some lawyer. I don't even think that the Eagles... A Fleetwood Mac, or, or you know, uh, uh, any Britney Spears—they're never going to see a penny of royalties, because the way the thing is written, it, it's really an option for the RAAA to pay these artists because they and and sound well, exchange. Well, it come down to who's got the better yeah. manager, the stronger manager, so they'll yeah. say, "Hey, where is exactly. it?" Exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, the strongest manager will 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 you know extract they'll get the $2, some dollars. Check. Right. Yeah. But as far as the independent 
artist, which has the most to gain. And also the RAAA doesn't like the rise of this because suddenly it's like we, you know, all these labels have spent so much money acquiring each other they and becoming control. this big four. And now their music isn't selling. You know, and, and they're they're going through on the record end what the what's what radio's going through on its end. Isn't it the same sort of theory as what happened why the FCC tried it well successfully shut down a lot of pirate radio stations? Oh because there was there was yeah. you know the pirate I mean, radio was, stations were saying great, we're, we're just a, doing local yeah. stuff. I mean there was a great case here and I, I really oh, yeah, supported yeah. the guy, Jerry Zoka doing grid radio. And I mean the FCC just came and shut up. He was serving a purpose. The gay community didn't have a radio station in this market. He was filling a tremendous void that commercial radio wasn't going to do it. And uh he went ahead, did it. I mean, and the FCC literally crucified him. I mean, uh, I, I was I was at his trial because I just supported what what he mm. was doing. I I support a lot of the, if you're if you're being a pirate just for the sake of being a pirate, that, that's one thing. But if you are serving a community that otherwise isn't getting served, there's a lot of Hispanic pirate radio stations sure. in the Hispanic neighborhoods in Cleveland. I don't think they should be shut down as long as they're not interfering with anything else. And, and in these cases, what they're picking are frequencies that aren't being used and that are not adjacent to frequencies that are being used. So, you know, where, where grid radio and where a lot of these Hispanic radios are uh, and, and, and other pirate stations that are serving communities, uh, you know, they are not interfering with but now the those commercial are, stations. I mean, unfortunately, because of the economies of scale, a lot of... Uh, poor groups, poor uh, poor people in this country can't don't have internet access, so they won't be able to listen to internet radio. So, really, internet radio overall is really the new pirate radio. Technically, that's I guess internet, what the yeah. RAA is saying. Yeah, it, well, internet saying. radio, I call it internet radio is a new independent radio. All right, so it's basically going back to the when you started radio. It's progressive radio. It's progressive. Well, see, the great thing is internet radio. It's infinitesimal. There's, it, 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 it's not like a frequency where you can only get so many channels, or like satellite radio, for that example. You can only have so many stations. You can only have so many formats. With the internet, I mean, you can have 3,000 stations. You can have 30,000 stations. There's no limit as to what you can do. And that's another thing that bothers the RAAA because they can't control it. The RAAAN, remember. Yeah, <laughs> RAAAN. They can't, you know, they can't control it. And it's it it's and it's so it, it is that kind of independent media, uh, you know that exists and it's exposing. Like I said, it, it, it I I have said to uh, you know Jerry and other people, put your stations on the internet because I mean right now not everybody has a computer, but more and more people are getting them and the price is coming down, and you can also go to your library, and. And they have all the libraries are, are equipped with internet, uh, with you know, with computers that you can surf the internet. So I mean, you can go into the library and you can put the headphones on and you can find an internet radio station, lock it in, and then do your other stuff. And you know, you're being exposed. So, and as Wi-Fi becomes WiMAX, I mean, we're only a few years away from when you'll be able to be in a car and drive through an entire city. And listen to an internet radio station just like you would a regular radio station. In fact, there's a chain of hotels in in uh, England, in Europe, but uh, there's there's one in London in particular. If you check into a room, there's a radio there, but it's not an AM FM. You know, it's it's not a terrestrial radio station radio. Okay. It's an internet. It's a freestanding internet radio. And the reason for that is. 
people, when you're checking into a hotel room, you're checking in from someplace else. And, you know, you're checking in from somewhere else. And also, chances are, it, it's, it may be out of country if it's, you know, a, 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 if, if you're a major like a New York or an L.A. or a New York or, or, you know, any major city like that, you may be from an entirely different country. Or in situations like, like, like this country where you have a lot of foreign students, with an Internet radio station, you can check into your local – you can listen to your local station or you can listen to anything you want. You can listen to a local neighborhood station. And so in the case of internet, you know, this, this, this chain of hotels did right is the fact that, you know, when a foreign traveler can automatically check what's happening back in their hometown so, on the radio. And, and the other part about what, what makes internet radio unique is it can, serve, it, can, it can serve one neighborhood. You could have an internet radio station that just serves a few square blocks and tells you what's happening in that neighborhood, especially troubled neighborhoods, especially neighborhoods that are going through crime and problems Internet like that. Internet radio, Black Watch. Yeah. But I mean, you can actually have that, or you can have, and, and at the same point, you can have an internet radio station where your goal is to reach the entire world. And I look at that as unique, and 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 the problem that, you know, the the the, the DMCA raises, it, it senses what's going on. It will put censorship on allowing and the most you know the, the worst part is the more successful you are the more listeners you have the greater you're penalized by the uh ri double by, by the D dmca there's always going to be that fight between the freedom of speech and the, free, the freedom of speech and the freedom to make money yeah you know so the last question here we'll wrap this up and I, and this is i think we're going to have to do a second one of these at some point to talk about some other things so oh, I, yeah i know we, we're just scratching no 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 so, so uh um you do I, I do want our listeners to know that you actually do have a book coming out yeah and what is the name of it and when will uh, it be out the book the name isn't the name is going to have buzzed somewhere in the title the name hasn't been but they go on amazon yet. they type in john gorman and it'll probably be uh, there. yeah and it's scheduled to be out in september Okay. Uh, I actually finished writing, and it's in the hands of the editors. And the editor, uh, who's Tom Ferron, actually, uh, usually did, you know, sounds familiar. Yeah, to Tom me. Ferron is a uh, 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 columnist for the Plain Dealer. Oh, okay, all right, right, right. Uh, and the thing that I like that Tom Ferron is editing this thing is Tom Ferron wasn't in Cleveland during the entire time. He he was away at school during the entire time of the seventies and eighties when MMS was happening. Yeah. So, you know, he's looking at saying, "I wasn't here for any of this," and I like the fact that. It, it is so objective right? because I turned in a lot of pages and, you know, much more that can be used in a book. So <laughs> it, it really needs, it really needed some serious editing. And I look at it that, hey, this is like you recorded a double album, but you can only put out a single album. So I do have, <laughs> I have outtakes, you know, I, I have outtakes. We're going to see a director's cut yeah, book. Yeah, right? I'll have remixes. I'll have all oh, that's awesome. So it, it's scheduled to be on September and hard cover. Uh, Grain Company is the publisher, and uh, it, it'll it be pretty much everywhere. If, it is, if you don't see it, it'll be Amazon.com. That's awesome. Well, I, I know we'll, we'll be uh, we'll be talking about it in the pages of AP. Um, but this final question, um, because you've been through the, the, the freedom of, portions of radio and the music industry where it was there's so much freedom to do what you wanted more or less and then you've been through the most constrictive times in it where it was all about the bottom line and the bean counters and you've been through the layoffs and everything else like that so with with your optimism and your cynicism combined and you're kind of like and you can kind of know you got you get a sense of where everything's going in five years briefly where are we gonna be 
technology is is satellite radio still going to be around is it basically going to be the web radio is it going to be i i what yeah. do the students out there today yeah. listening to this podcast going to go five years from now ah okay that's where it's uh, going to be I, I don't see satellite radio being around unless it starts making money okay. and i don't think the merger is fair because it's two different entirely Between different and frequencies okay. and all that uh, I don't. I don't like anything that comes from one culture. You know, I don't like anything where all of you may have all these wide variety of formats, but they're all coming from the same place, and all coming with the same restrictions and the same rules and regulations and all that. So, and and satellite radio just really something isn't making money. And, and let's face it, ever since it was announced that they Sirius and XM want to merge, who's going to buy a satellite radio right now? You're going to wait to see what happens if right. you're interested, and. You know, satellite radio has dropped off. It got a blip when Howard Stern was signed because Howard had did have huge fans that follow would follow him wherever he goes. But you know, all of those people have already bought Sirius. I think the statistics like three point four percent of radio listeners listen to satellite radio. Yeah, yeah it's roughly about that. Yeah. So where where are we going to be? Is it going to be? Well, it, 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 where's the where's the whole music industry going to be in yeah, five years? I mean, I mean the, I, the, right now the music you're always going to have anything that's successful is always going to be bought, bought out. You know, so I mean, no matter what, there's always a price. There's always, you know, when I was talking about the organic thing, you know, it Whole Foods is a public company. It's a very legitimate public company, and the CEO of the company only takes a small percentage. You know, he's not paying himself $20 million a year or anything like that. And along the way, they've had to make some compromises, and they're selling some non-organic and all that. But they started out being a pure organic once upon a time. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's part of life. You're always going to have that compromise. You are going to have internet radio is going to continue to grow with or without the RIAA because it's worldwide. Uh, in England, they've they've really uh, put the kibosh on foreigners from listening to English radio stations. I mean, if you try to listen to Capital Radio out of London, you'll get well. You're not you're not part of you don't live in the United Kingdom, so I'm sorry we can't send this to you. Uh, so I mean, there there are the, there are different ways that 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 uh, providers can censor product. And I think we're going to go through a stage of that. I think we are going to go- censorship. Yeah, I think we are going to go through a stage of, of censorship. You're going to go through, you know, the new pirate radio will be the ones that go in the air and refuse to pay the RIAA. Uh, I'm hoping that there is a logical conclusion that the DMCA is ruled to be illegal, that it should have never been signed and that it stands in the way of business, it stands in the way of free speech and all that. And, uh, you know, best case scenario is the DMC goes away and internet radio is allowed to develop. But let's face it, the most successful ones will be bought up by the majors. I mean, that's just what happens, you know. Even independent film, you know, Harvey Weinstein got in and he commercialized it. I don't know how much of that is bad, how much of that is good, because suddenly if you can provide a certain amount of, of budget that you didn't have before, it allows you to expand that much more, as long as you stay true to your goals and values. That's what counts. So we are really in, a, in, in a, uh, the next few years are going to be probably the most amazing. And, you know, we talk about, we were talking about, you know, the growth of FM and, sure. and you know, vinyl to CDs and all. It's now it's now speeding up to the point that you are going to see major changes happening, not year to year, but month to month and week to week, because the technology is expanding so so quickly. And the thing that I love the most is the fact that the independent act, independent artists have the most to gain right now, because 
the new communication is through the internet. And even if even if the RIAA tries to block internet radio stations from playing internet independent music, which is really the game plan here, people can still communicate by email. They can still send, you know, fi- you know, song samples. Bands can still put up an example. I I really think that uh, eventually you are going to have a a system where the the, the Record label as we know it may be something that, that, that is part of history. And you won't make bands, artists won't make money off of the listening of, of uh, their music, but they'll make money off the touring and the merchandise or maybe bonuses, you know, that will be only available a certain way. But, I mean, let's face it, the acts on major labels aren't getting any... any uh, 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 royalties. I mean, they're waiting and waiting. I mean, look, you look at every act. I don't care how, from the small acts to Led Zeppelin are all suing the labels because they found that they weren't getting their royalties. And uh, I was just reading, you know, the Arcade Fire. It's mm. a great example. They've stayed on a small label and the manager was saying, we get paid quarterly, you know. They they know how to do their own tour support. They, don't, they no longer need a label to do that kind of legwork because... Arcade Fire built himself up where they have a fan base, and they, I think I think they are really setting the stage for the way it will, the way it should be done, and hopefully the way it will be done. So you're optimistic in the end. I'm optimistic. Well, no matter what, it's like uh, you know, it's like every garden has weeds, but there are you know, but if you try to do your best to eliminate the weeds, you'll have you'll you know retain the garden. John, thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. And uh, I do think we'll, we'll, we'll wait like the, those other couple more months and then we'll see how technology's changed and bring it back in again. Yeah. And believe <laughs> me, it will be different. We'll see a difference in two months. And look forward to the book coming out this September 2007. Uh, look forward on Amazon.com by John Gorman. Take care. Thank you. AP Podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Ortenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP. 